0: This is Brian Reisman. Welcome to Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I use the AKG Lyra microphone for this show, so if you like what you hear, check it out for yourself. If you like the convo you hear today, please subscribe or follow to keep up with future episodes.
1: You're turned on to Side Jams with Brian Reisman. I'm Perry Farrell, and I'm aboard.
0: When I first heard the music of acclaimed violinist, singer and composer Lily Hayden back in 1997, I was impressed and enchanted by the diversity found within her pop rock debut. Since that time, the classically trained musician has expanded her repertoire even further through eclectic, genre-bending solo albums and live performances with the likes of Herbie Hancock, George Clinton, Buckethead and Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. These days, she's also scoring for film and television her latest projects include her engaging new solo album, More Love, and her dynamic soundtrack work for Ginny and Georgia, which recently was the number one show on Netflix, and the stars documentary, Ruth, Justice Ginsburg, in her own words. Also, her dreamy global fusion group Opium Moon won the Grammy Award for Best New Age Artist in 2019. She's had quite an exciting couple of years. Beyond her musical odyssey, Lily champions social justice and human rights causes and environmental awareness in the face of climate change. We spoke about those passions for episode 40 of Side Jams. She explained how her art and activism are intertwined, how that combination affects the business decisions she makes, how she navigates the political waters of the entertainment industry, and how the world needs more love. She also shared a funny story about a drunken meeting with Roger Waters, and on a more serious note, how battling COVID last year gave her a new perspective on life. I've been a fan of Lily's music for nearly 25 years, so it was a pleasure to finally interview her. Something I've always appreciated about you is the fact that you are very eclectic in your musical tastes.
1: I'm glad. Thank you. You're a clinic, but some people don't relate.
0: You know, it's funny, like my collection, as you can see here, it really encompasses like all this different stuff. And I remember I used to jam with a friend of mine and I would like, you know, i have like a goth CD and a folk CD and then like an ambient CD. Like, so how do you just switch? I said, I take one C D out, I put the other one in, and I press play, and that's it.
1: I like anything that feels authentic.
0: Well that's it. And you managed to find a way, I mean, you're practically fused with your violin, like you just, you see, it's very natural. So it seems like no matter what you're doing, you just find a way to integrate your style into the different genres that you're, you're bringing together. Well, thanks. Actually, no, almost has like a lot of ethereal stuff too.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Even the opening track overture makes me think a little bit like the sound that Tori Amos got with her full band back in the nineties when she was doing stuff like some of the guitar playing wasn't, it wasn't traditional guitar playing necessarily. It was, and so I always appreciated that because it was different. I mean, you've been doing this a long time, so you have to find ways to challenge yourself or you'll get bored.
1: Uh, you know, I just go where the muse takes me. And a lot of this was inspired by cinematic stuff that I've been doing.
0: Yes. I was just watching uh, the beginning of Ginny in Georgia. Oh, good. That's different because that's a bit more poppy in some ways.
1: And also I, uh, I did, uh, you know, some of the songs that sound like songs are stuff that I did as well.
0: Oh, really? there's some hip hop stuff in there and there's some singer songwriter stuff. So you actually, so do you you compose a lot of it and bring in other singers for certain tracks?
1: Yeah. I mean, some of it is our, our songs that they're licensing, but uh, there are others that are me and uh, I'll either sing in a different voice or I'll bring in other singers or, or yeah. That's
0: cool. So how did Ginny and Georgia come about?
1: I got a call from friend of a friend who was a composer who said he was A friend of his had made this show and they had just fired their composer and he was going to pitch on it, but they wanted a woman to score it. So he wanted to partner with a woman and that he had been told that I was good. (laughs) So I sent him a bunch of work that I thought might be pertinent. We put a reel together and then we pitched and then we had to go through a few rounds. But actually, the funny thing is that I was on my way to India when I called. Wow! I was on my way to India with my band Opium Moon. We it was our last. It was literally it was right before the shutdown. It's the week of the shutdown. Uh, we got out in the nick of time, so I did uh, most of my pitching from India. Wow! Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a few weeks of um, of jumping through some hoops, and then we. Uh, but they liked it, and here we are.
0: And then he worked on transparent. And you've also worked, you've, worked on some, you've done some other Netflix stuff, too.
1: Yeah, I have um, another uh, feature documentary called Strip Down, Rise Up uh, that I uh, scored. It just came out a couple weeks ago. And uh, another feature doc called Ruth about Ruth Bader Ginsburg just came out on stars. It's really, really good.
0: Wow. You keep busy. Yeah, I mean, I remember first discovering your music back in 97 with that first album on Atlantic. And that was an eclectic mixture of of different styles. Yeah. I was watching the TED Talks. I know you mentioned that you had opened for Page and Plant, but I thought you also played with them too, didn't you?
1: I did. Not on that tour, though. They weren't, they didn't have, it was a basically straight up rock band. They didn't have their big orchestras. They didn't have any of the tricks. They, they, okay.
0: I remember the orchestra, that whole orchestra tour.
1: Yeah. No, that was very exciting to, uh, to check. I, that was the tour that I sat in with them.
0: And what was that like?
1: You know, the funny thing is, it was, I mean, it was a great, great thrill, as you can imagine. But I didn't grow up listening to Zeppelin. So for me, it was just like the thrill of getting to play with the best musicians in the world. You know, it was, it was, it didn't have anything to do with the kind of coded DNA of fandom that most of my friends have.
0: Well, you've worked with a lot of different, I know you worked with Bill Laswell. I mean, yeah. he was doing stuff before that, but he produced a lot of really eclectic, electronic and experimental stuff in the 90s. I think he worked at Buckethead, too, at one point.
1: Yep, I got to, I, got to, I did Bonnaroo with Buckethead and Bernie Worrell. Wow. And Bill, Laswell. So the three B's and an L.
0: Did you get to see what Buckethead actually looks like?
1: Yes, I did. He's actually pretty cute, you'd think. I thought he was going to be, like, disfigured, because he even rehearsed in the Bucket. <laughs>
0: You know, I'm looking over the email that you sent me because I was checking out what we're going to talk about for side jams. And I saw your TED Talk. I mean, I know you're very passionate about social justice and human rights. And it's interesting how you talk about the theme of domination. Mm -hmm. That is probably like the best word in terms of dealing with a lot of the issues that we're dealing with from everything from, you know, racism to the environment to war. I've been doing these commentaries on old film noirs, like from the 40s and 50s. And I Mm -hmm. sit there thinking, man, we had tons of guns back then. Like people just casually picking out going to everyone with guns. Like you watch British movies at the same time, and like there's not nearly as many guns. Like the cops don't carry guns; they don't have this expectation. It's almost like we still live in the Wild West in this country.
1: Domination comes in every form, and that was the point I was trying to make. Is that yes, it's racism, but it's also the way we treat animals. Mm -hmm. It's also the way we treat the environment. It's also the way we treat each other. Even you know, so you know, somebody's rude to you and acts like they're better than you yeah it hurts and that is that's what they call a microaggression you know but it hurts anytime we annihilate each other anytime we you know we assert our power over another yeah it doesn't feel good and then that causes a chain reaction and so we have to break it down unlock it and understand that unless we start with treating ourselves actually my mommy is my mom was a comedian and she used to say, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Bible says, love your neighbors, you love yourself. But if you don't like yourself, your neighbors in trouble, you know, this is why I think music is actually important because it gets us to hopefully feel, or anytime, anything makes us feel anything,
2: a a story
1: uh, humanizes somebody um, causes us to have a little bit of compassion. It's the seed that can hopefully unravel the cycle of domination and the more we feel the more we can include and can see each other's feelings
0: well it, it's a tricky thing because you know there's a lot of people who view and this is the thing that drives me nuts especially on the conservative side. a lot of people who view art as just entertainment so like why would you make any sort of statement what can we do to like make people understand that you can have these other layers to art I mean, you've had this discussion with people about that, about the yeah. nature of art.
1: Like it, will like it. And the people who don't will tell you to shut up and sing. And then we come back at them and say, you know, everyone from Woody Guthrie to Bob Dylan to Leonard Cohen to Rage Against the Machine, you know, our art, it's moving the needle in terms of people's sensitivity and awareness. And, and it, music affects us on subliminal levels that bypasses the intellect. Hopefully, you know, artists are the one people who move civilization forward.
0: I mean, have you had people come up to you and say that, you know, they, they, they did have like sort of an epiphany or a change of opinion after hearing one of your songs or seeing one of your performances or TED Talks?
1: Not so much in a, like a change of opinion, but that people have it's moved them and that it's, it's caused them to feel things that they didn't feel before. And I think that's the beginning of, of a movement. Now that's that's the first revolution. Yeah, is the one we have inside in our hearts, and we have to have it every morning. <laughs> you know, every every day we get to choose whether we are coming from love or fear. And I try to take five minutes in the morning to anchor myself, you know, in the flow of love consciousness.
0: I think I'm a liberal, but sometimes I even get, I just get pissed off at people. I'm like Ugh. yesterday, the governor of Texas decided to just open everything up. And I think uh, Keith Olbermann made, made some sort of snarky comment about it. And one guy that was on there, I think, was this guy from Texas who didn't vote that way. He said, look, you know, I understand your point of view, but this is probably not the best response to this either. Like, you know, not everybody in Texas feels this way. I don't know. I do get frustrated because I just see people making some dumb choices. And I'm like, how many how many times, how long is it going to take for people to learn their lesson that you know, some of these choices are not good?
1: Yeah, my only concern is that I think the real lesson of, of this pandemic is that we're all in this together and that you can't, yeah. you know, that vaccine nationalism is folly because all it is going to do is create strains that we had or don't have resistance to.
0: I, I think the tricky part too is trying to to get people interested in things and not being preachy about it. And sometimes, I mean, I think, I think the pandemic, the a big lesson here is our diet. I've been a mediator my whole life, but I'm slowly starting And you know, my girlfriend and I are sitting there going, you know, every time there's one of these pandemics, what does it go back to? birds and animals i was hoping people would at least figure that out because i mean the beginning of the pandemic i mean you had there was like a, i think a spot in india that it had been choked with smog and suddenly it was clean nobody was going outside uh, things like that i'm like aren't people seeing this or like i'm not hearing so many planes anymore and it was nice
1: i remember the first week it was actually glorious it was, it was surreal and it showed us that we can do whatever the fuck we want climate change is a real necessity we do need to yeah. absolutely upend our systems in order to deal with it, and it this showed we can, we actually could if we wanted to.
0: So now, what organizations have you have you been involved with lately, as far as a lot of the social justice causes, and you have know, so much going on.
1: I like Our Revolution. You know, I'm a big Bernie person. I like 350.org. They're basically an organization built around fighting climate change, mm-hmm. and I work with the Global Security Institute which is the preeminent NGO focused on non- nuclear disarmament, non-proliferation. Um, I, I can tell you a funny story though. I've been working with them for a long time. It's just, I'm friends with the guy who's the, the, the president of it, yeah, that I'm yeah. a big benefit that I did and a uh, brilliant guy. And anyway, so I was trying to, I try to turn people onto it because it's uh, the, the organization is so brilliant. And uh, so I was performing with Roger Waters at Coachella mm. So I got to play and sing the 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 lead uncomfortably numb at oh, wow. 250,000 people, and nice. and it was really really fun and I and and but I was saving my moment to talk to him about the Global Security Institute because I know he's a peace nick and I wanted to turn him onto this anti-nuclear weapons organization because uh, they really I, and I thought there so he would really benefit the organization so i took my moment it was after the show i thought you know like i'll wait till after the pressure's off yeah and everybody was drinking this really expensive fancy tequila and i'm a lightweight and so i had some and so by the time i got my moment with roger to talk to him about the global security institute i was wasted (laughs) of course (laughs) i said i'm talking about the global security and geo nuclear disarmament and (laughs) And and could and he just like laughed me out of the room, and and I anyway I wasted my opportunity to.
2: So.
0: Well, you know what stuff happens like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of funny. Like you plan for these great moments you think you're going to have, and then they're like, oh, that didn't really work out the way I thought it was going to.
1: Is, my friend who was with me took a picture of me in that conversation. I'm leaning into Roger like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> So hilarious. Anyway, so are we recording anything on camera?
0: I only have the audio, the video just for us. I'm just doing the audio. I stripped the audio out.
1: Okay, cool. So
0: that way, I mean, you have a great setup back there with all the, the I mean, you've got, you've got, see, you've got a, you've got guitar, bass, and.
1: That's a uh, charongo. It's a Peruvian oh. little guitar with like 12 strings. That's cool. And that's my Grammy. And this is uh, an old, upright piano Uh, my
0: violin right there that's the thing with a lot of people you have to have a cool setup like it's it's funny like people come over like you've got all these cds and all this stuff i have stuff around me i'm like yeah but it's just kind of like it's part of who i am you have to have your space as it were i mean during the pandemic i mean have you found yourself being more creative and staying up for 20 hours in a row
1: I've always been like that, though, so I don't really, um, and the thing is, I've been scoring, um, I've been working on composing music for movies and TV, yeah. most of it, so um, I've basically gone from one thing to the next, and, uh, and the days where, I'm, where I don't have a deadline, uh, I've been letting myself sleep to a certain degree, and then actually, in the middle of it, I got COVID. Oh, no, uh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I had COVID. It was not a serious case, but I did have a couple nights where I thought I wouldn't, couldn't breathe, and I thought I might have to go to the hospital.
0: Wow! Um,
1: but uh, it was the good thing about it. Well, I I was in the middle of doing my show, so Ginny and Georgia, I couldn't stop, and it was my first TV show, and I was not gonna fucking stop for anybody. Yeah. Stupid virus. Um. So I just worked right through it, and in the middle of it, we also had to move. Uh, Our landlord sold our house, so we found a house, and we started renovating it. It was a big fixer-upper project over the last year, and so we moved in July. Wow. So I've only been here for, like, seven months.
0: I'm glad you survived COVID. Jeez, that's like...
1: Well, I'm I'm thankfully healthy and uh, eat well and, you know, sometimes just sheer determination. I pretty much powered through most things, so... And the good thing, actually, about the COVID experience was that it connected me to the world in a a bigger way. So I had a more visceral, you know, a palpable sense of what people are going through. And it also connected me to it. It gave me the impetus to be able to sing a a song called More Love, which is the title track of the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because it's just a really simple lyric. You heard it. And I don't think I could. Have justified singing "Life Is a Miracle" before, but it is, and I, I had COVID to prove it.
0: It's it's kind of dovetails into something I've been talking to a lot of people lately. Like I, I like to keep up with newer albums by sort of veteran artists, like people have been around for a while. And I always have this argument with people, like you know, they don't want to hear like a new album by like their favorite '80s or '90s artists. I'm like, no, actually, you really should. Yeah. Because even that ballad that they're singing right now. He's going to be sung in a different way than they would have done it when they were 25. Because the last Billy Idol record, I actually really loved. And it was probably not listened to by his, as many people as heard Rebel Yell back in the day. But this is a guy wrestling with his demons. They still, oftentimes, they're still winning. Yeah, There's a maturity to that album that would not have existed when he was half that age. Totally. And so I got sucked into that, not just the music, but like the, the what's going on. And you hear it in his voice. Yeah, I feel like Europeans are probably better about that than Americans.
1: Wanting our artists <laughs> to age and and get into it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now you said you went to India. What did you learn from going over there?
1: Um, this is my third time over there. Mm. I had toured uh, extensively through there about ten years ago, and and then about a couple of years before that, I was there for uh, to perform for a week long wedding of these diamond magnates. <laughs> And, uh, wow! So and that <laughs> we were we per-
0: were you performing all week. Like you're literally, I'm here all week.
1: Uh, it was I was part of the wedding uh, entertainment. They basically, and I didn't. I was there for like an East meets West kind of a like a thing with this big Indian star. Mm-hmm. And and when I got there, and I I I've always been an activist, and I had been working with this organization called the Indigenous Land Rights Fund, and we had just raised money to, or they had just raised the money to fight the case uh, in the international criminal court on behalf of the Bushmen of Botswana. And it was the first time an indigenous group of people had won against an African nation. Oh, wow. And the diamond mining basically had been deemed a cultural de- genocide uh, against the Bushmen of Botswana. And uh, so I was, uh, we were just state, and I had just written a song, and I got George Clinton on it, and it was, yeah. uh, and it was basically to protest the opening of this new De Beers store. It was like all this diamond. And then the night before, I was on my way to India. I forgot to add. I said to my uh, uh, the guy who had uh, brought me, who was bringing me over. I said, "So who who are we? Whose wedding is it for?" And he said, "Oh, Lily, you will be very impressed. There, it is the two biggest diamond importing families in all the world."
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: don't And. I got there and it was every single, if I had been a vigilante, I could have taken out the entire industry. <laughs> um, and I was, and the energy was so horrible in the room. And I, uh, oh. and I was on this jumbotron uh, just scowling and everybody said, smile, smile. And I like, and anytime anybody tells me to smile, I get I double down on my, uh, on my, you oh. know, <clears throat> do not tell a fierce, woman to smile she will bite your fucking head off exactly and that was especially juxtaposed with the obscene affluence of this particular engagement like outside this gilded ballroom mm. were two-year-olds with limbs cut off so that they could you know begging for food you know you know it's horrible it was it, it was shocking, and each time i had been there since, uh, they cleaned it up actually quite a quite a bit in the last, in my last visit. Yeah. There was they put a lot of the worst examples of poverty behind a wall, basically, so you couldn't you could I wasn't exposed to it as much this time. Hmm. And there's no way to justify. I mean, I, I, it's I, you know I, there's nothing to do except. Be as generous and loving and as possible, and spread the word about, you know, elevating
0: each other. So. You sort of touched upon, I think, something that's uh, tricky for those of us who, you know, work in the arts and then deal with major corporations. Because I could, I could do a story for an outlet that I really like, but there's certain stories they do that I don't like, you know. And at the same time, I'm getting the chance to make my statement with what I'm doing, and it's it's not a perfect science. Yeah. I have turned down a couple of stories in the past year where somebody asked me to do something. I'm like, I, I can't do that. Like, I don't like that artist or that
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I can't profile that person. Do you find with the different organizations and trying to get people involved in a lot of the issues you're passionate about that that's a concern with some people that there's this, like there was an article I found, I think it was on business insider of all places talking about how the, how the governments and big business had suppressed youth rebellion or youth activism by like, you know, student loans, having student loan hanging, debt hanging over you. Uh, surveillance, all these things that are making people nervous about saying anything.
1: Yeah, well, Clear Channel is big Republican operative, basically. And they own 99% of the radio stations and concert venues. Uh, So people who are actively speaking out against certain policies have been dropped or blacklisted. They have. Um, I have never been that mainstream, So I would have to, but, you know, it's possible that I have noticed, especially as I've gotten to, um, to be scoring bigger and bigger projects. um, Some of my composer friends have told me to be careful or that they've had, you know, that they admire my courage in Mm -hmm. speaking, you know, in posting about certain things because they would be worried that their clients wouldn't hire them if they were as vocal as I am. And it occurred to me, you know, I had this luxury because I was doing, I was operating on the fringe. Um, We'll see. I mean, there are, I'm I'm guessing that there will be times where actually I've, I, so I was um, a couple of years ago, two years ago or so, I got a call from this composer that I was a fan of, a well-established composer who uh, said he had been asked to score this documentary um, Mm -hmm. uh, called abundance or something like that. And uh, and he had been listening to one of my records and he wanted me to co-compose it with him. And he had this uh, great agent and it was for this. And, and I thought, uh, well, this is a big break. You know, I didn't even have to try out for this and I get to have my name as- alongside this established composer and, you know, and his agent will represent me and I'll get an agent and it'll be, you know, and it was a lot of money for me. And, and I thought, Oh, this is amazing. And I'm so excited about this. And I was like all into it. And I, you know, and I watch a lot of documentaries, and I love consciousness-raising documentaries. And right, and I thought, oh, this will be wonderful. And so, but can, when can I see it? And he said, well, I don't want to. I don't like to start working on anything until the contract is done. So I'm, I'll send you the link as soon as I, mm. you know, as, as I have it. Everything's signed. Everything's moved. Ready to move forward. The night before I uh, were supposed to start, uh, he sends me the link to watch it, and I watched it, and it was a uh, propaganda film by the Koch brothers on basically uh, getting Mm -hmm. rid of regulation because anytime you ask a company not to, you know, poison a river and kill all the fish, it's, you're impairing their freedom. And Mm. this was made by the architects of the Iraq war, uh, all of the egregious policies of discrimination, you know, uh, killing voting rights, literally the laundry list of everything I'd been protesting against was wow. architects with this heritage foundation and they were the producers of this fucking documentary. And I called him after I watched it and I was just crying. My, my, my heart was so sad. And I, uh, and I called him and I said, I will do this. I'm not going to, it's the last minute. I'm not going to leave you in the lurch, but I'll ta- I have to take my name off of it. I, I can't, you know, do this and I'll do that. Because I'm a pro, but I access spirit when I'm composing, and I can't ask the angels to support this. So I would like to recuse myself if it's okay with you. And he said, okay. I didn't know that's who this, who had done this, and I found him a replacement for violin and a replacement for a voice, and and I, I I had to walk away from it. But that's the only time I've ever uh, and the and I thought I'd blown it with the agent because I'd already signed. I mean, it was it was a. Yeah, I couldn't have asked spirit to do that. But I'm now in a situation I actually have been asked to score a uh, well, I haven't gotten the job yet. But my meeting after our our talk today is actually for a documentary, another documentary for Netflix, um, about a uh, murder case an unsolved murder case. Uh, It was based on a, a best selling book. And they're turning it into this cool documentary, and they want it to be like this electronic, like Trent Reznor score. And cool. And I love Trent Reznor, and I thought, and I haven't really gotten to make a lot of. I started the, the last show in the Ginny and Georgia series, uh, and the the last episode in the in the uh, first season. Okay. Uh, I got to touch on sort of a, a a Trent Reznor vibe, but it sounds like a lot of fun to make that kind of music. But you know, when I'm scoring, I don't. So last night I was trying to talk to my husband about, mm. like, are you going to be cool with it if I'm, like, staring at, you know, these, at, you know, murder. Like, if I'm living in this place of darkness for a couple months. He said, I really would rather you didn't. Because, <laughs> 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 you know, it's kind of a all encompassing thing. And my father was actually accused of murder was in an unsolved mystery. And I don't know if. Oh, my God. I don't know if he did it and my, but he was a sociopath and I was in a, um, my mom raised me the first couple of years, uh, as part of a, uh, commune, which was a little bit like a cult.
0: Yeah. I remember and, about that. Yeah.
1: So I've been around people who've been brainwashed and I've been around people who have, you know, many aliases and running from the law and, uh, and the paranoia and the, you know, what I don't, And so I was like, okay, do I, is this, what do I, do I really want to do this? And if I do, do I approach it? Like uh, this is my chance to reframe the narrative with my music and come in and actually redeem situations like this and inject heart and consciousness into something is this gruesome. And, you know, and maybe that's possible and maybe that's just, my way of justifying you know the thing i want to do more work with you know this will be my you know if i if i were to get it and do it it would be my third project for netflix in a year so nice you know it, it it would kind of help to solidify you know a relationship that i really want to cultivate with the biggest fucking movie studio on the planet and uh anyway so that's i all have to say sorry for the tangent but
0: no 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 it's it's, it's this is all this is all tight this is all tight i mean you know you're i love the fact that you sort of embrace all these different things i mean i i feel very add about it. it's kind of hard to always focus there but it always seems to come around to a lot of the same stuff for you and and i'm glad that you had you got out of that situation you know with the with the doc that other piece because i mean that's it's the worst feeling when you feel like you're compromising yourself yeah and going oh, i can't believe i did this. there's a balance too i mean that's the problem i guess with being an activist right
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Most of the time. I mean, for instance, I've been thinking about, you know, our cancel culture and the sort of performative wokeness that a lot of that I see in a lot of people. And, you know, they're like forcing people to resign over behavior that could just as easily be interpreted another way or just easily educated and regulated, you know, like and adjusted as opposed to just, you know, like it look. Governor Cuomo might be an egomaniac. You know, he might be, I don't know, like the space and the stories that you're hearing, you know, we're hearing, you yeah. know, is he, is, he, is he part of the domination paradigm? Sure. But, you know, how many times people have gotten in my space bubble and I felt uncomfortable if I fucking sued them and got them fired from their job every time somebody was too close to me, there'd be nobody left. The UN did a study that... One out of every three women on the planet, on the planet, has been or will be abused or violated in some way. Yeah. That's one third of half the planet. That's over a billion people, which is why Eve Ensler started her organization, One Billion Rising, which is designed to, to end violence against women. And so if we canceled every person who, you know, that didn't happen by, one per- like by, by a handful of men. It happened by a handful, and and my point is that it's about power, not sex. And we must evolve out of the domination paradigm that allows us, us to annihilate each other. But in that same, in that a lot in the same spirit of that, we by when we cancel people, and we, instead of educating people, we are perpetuating the same domination and oppression that we say that we're against.
0: And you seems like you're trying to find a balance too in identifying what's really a problem and what's something that can be fixed. The New York Times did a story in the Me Too movement to how it toppled around at least 200 executives in the industry. But most of those names are not known to the general public. So there's a lot of people in the general public think, oh, this is a bunch of, you know, this is all exaggerated and this. And I'm like, no, there actually were people that, you know, you just don't know about them, but they're there. But then there are these things that happen now also. I mean, like I look at that, that country guy, Morgan Wallen. He's a jackass. I mean, he didn't do the COVID. He got kicked off Saturday Night Live. He made a racist comment. He's also 20, what, 25 years old? I'm hoping that guy's gonna learn something and maybe actually change. If I found that he was going out and beating people up and, you know, encouraging violence and a lot of worse things, you could take a much more harsh stance. I'm sort of in the middle
1: on it. I, I agree. I think it we have to be nuanced in our thinking. And and there are some people who are serial predators who just need to be stopped. And especially, you know, people yeah. like Weinstein, who destroyed people's careers. You know, I wish that he could still make movies because he his company made my favorite movies. And the new documentary about Woody Allen, I haven't seen it, but I know, I've read many articles on both sides and Woody Allen has been has been exonerated several times with lie detector tests. Nobody on the other side, on the accusing side, has ever done lie detector tests. And Moses Pharaoh, the brother that was there, says this is all uh, psychological warfare crocked up by Mia Farrow. None of us was there, but to assassinate the character of somebody without, you know, is he creepy? Sure. But is that, do you... Uh, Yeah, that that doesn't mean that, you know, we we have to be more nuanced in our thinking. So on Ginny and Georgia, there's this innocuous joke that the teenager in the show, she starts dating a bunch of different guys. And her mom says, you're going through guys faster than Taylor Swift. And it's this little joke. And Taylor Swift came out and told all our fans not to watch Ginny and Georgia. And that it was deeply sexist and offensive, and not funny and lazy, and like this whole. It was just one tiny little line in passing, and now all of her fans have been going uh, like it's. The good news is that the controversy is actually, you know, we're still number one globally. Um, (laughs) There you go. So it's fine, but it's possible that she could have gotten a fucking show created by, for, and like the entire creative team is women. The entire creative team, which to me is the essence of feminism. Women taking control of their own narrative, even to the point where we can tease each other about it. And she's a very powerful public figure who is so about all of her relationships. So it is officially in the public domain. (laughs) You know, it's uh, it's it's totally fair game. I have sympathy for her. if She feels like she's being that that she's being held up against uh, a standard that if she were a guy, she wouldn't be held up against. Yeah. So that's a fair comment. But where are her fans and where is she when it comes to uh, actually being activists about policies that would really help women like fifteen dollar minimum wage? Yeah. Equal rights amendment. Voting rights, abortion rights, reproductive rights. What about all of that? Where are her fans on that? So the what I take issue with is where people get up in arms about something that's actually meaningless or or innocuous, but they're silent when it comes to the substantive issues.
0: No, it's true. I think everyone is just overly sensitive now. And I, and I know part of the problem with this is that you've had decades of this kind of conservative repression in this country. And so now there's just a lot of people who are, have had it. We've sort of, and this is unfortunately, we're not a culture of moderation. We're a culture of extremes. We always have been. It's like, it's sort of the pendulum swings back and forth. And the analogy I make now is that the pendulum has broken and each side is swinging the opposite direction. And now they're slamming back together and doing this. It's not actually going back and forth anymore. And I don't know. I mean, I guess that's why Biden was going to be the one choice to actually become president, because he's a centrist Catholic. And it's about the best you're going to get right now. I know for a lot of my progressive friends, it's very hard to face the fact that it's going to take many more years of change. Does that, that ever frustrate you as an activist, the fact that you know that these things are right within our our grasp? And yet we still have to convince a lot of people and we have to do these babies. Some people, we just have to do baby steps. Other people well, can leap forward. but
1: You know, It does frustrate me. It's not, you know, I I understand the need for moderation. I don't hate Biden at all. And I'm not as, and I wouldn't be as impatient about correct policy as some of my progressive friends were it not for the fact that with climate change, we really don't have time to continue to the the all of the above option. That's true. We really fucking don't. Climate change, is clearly real. And we've seen that dramatic change can actually cause a shift in the environment because of COVID. I think COVID, if if there was a reason for COVID, it was to show us that we can and we can make the change that we need to.
0: No, we do. I think you're right. There's something, you know, that's something, I, I, it's amazing to me that people don't even actually want to see that. I don't know. I've I've stopped watching a lot of TV news, to be honest with you. I, TV news drives me up the fucking wall. And I like to go online and occasionally, you know, like, even when, I think during the, when we were waiting, when Biden won Pennsylvania, were we were waiting to find out just before Biden won Pennsylvania. My girlfriend's like, let's watch Fox News. I'm like, I hate Fox News. Like, no, let's just watch it just to see what they're saying. And it was very funny how they weren't talking about it at all. Yeah, and we, and you know, at the same time, I see the argument that NBC then has the slant, or CNN starts having the slant to the left now.
1: They're not slant to the left; they're just not going with making the false equivalencies between the that's true radical the 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 fringe like the 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 extremist right, which has become the mainstream right, and it's you know it shouldn't be considered a slant to the left when you actually quote a scientist.
0: I think MSNBC has certainly definitely had that in that way with Rachel Maddow and other people, which is fine. I mean, that's that's what They're
1: they do. That, that, that is equally yeah, it's it's basically the entertainment model for uh and over dramatization. I it's basically like hyperbole and you know, dramatic hyperbole about banal in you know, like the Ru- Russia gate was I knew that was gonna go nowhere. And I was I, I listened to Democracy Now. That's my jam. Okay. Amy good. Uh, so Never, yeah. I, I don't even fuck with cable news at all. That's, that's where I get my news. That Democracy Now!, The Intercept, Naomi Klein. Uh, I listen to scientists and journalists that I respect.
0: I, I know one of the things you talk about is nuclear disarmament. And isn't it funny that after the wall came down and, and after really the 90s, all of a sudden we don't really talk about it anymore. Like there's clearly nuclear weapons in America, in Russia and around the planet.
1: They're on hair trigger alert. They're still on hair trigger alert. And in fact, I just, one of the biggest reasons and tools for disarmament activists is to cite the many occasions where computer glitches created a scenario in which nuclear weapons could have been, where we could have just all vaporized, full-on global nuclear war could have ensued because of, of a mistake in a, in a computer glitch
0: war games was right.
1: Yep. Actually I just saw I was, I, I hop around different TV shows now to just get a sense of what the music is like and what people are making and who, who are the content creators and who do I want to work with? And what, you know, just to be inspired and be in the loop. And I watched a little bit of Madam Secretary. Uh-huh. Seen that? Taylor-ony. Yeah. They, they had a brilliant episode uh, where there was almost, nuclear war because of a computer glitch. And she sets about trying to take our nuclear weapons off hair trigger alert, which is one of the things that Global Security Institute has been advocating for. Um,
0: it's a scary thought. Like, it's amazing. Like, I remember growing up with the Cold War, and it wasn't like every day I was worrying about being nuked. But one of the problems of the last four years is that we've become so, and I already noticed this happening when W was president. You have so many problems that keep adding up that people get fatigue. They compartmentalize it to such a degree. Yeah. All of this stuff is put into this little box. It is survivalism, which is what I didn't like about having the Republicans run everything. It's like this survivalist attitude about everything. It's like You can't do that. Like the joke I make is that liberals say, think globally, act locally. And my joke with a lot of conservatives, not all, but a lot of them is like, think locally, act locally. It's like just what's in my immediate space. But then as you're pointing out, there are some people who claim to be liberal that, you know, will also not, they're good. It's like you practice what you preach. It's great to make all these statements on social media about it, but what are you actually doing? And I wanted to ask you, if you have, there's younger people that are out there that want to get involved in various causes and are, have this desire to be an activist, how do you suggest they go about doing it? Because it, you, could just, you could just take on a million causes at once and turn it into one big kind of jumble. But I don't think that that's effective necessarily.
1: Uh, I think we, my mom was, my mom used to say she was, um, uh, you know, she knew she couldn't fix the world's problems. So she, her philosophy was give as you go. So if there's a homeless person in front of you, make sure that they feel seen, you know that you actually acknowledge the, the humanity, see if they're hungry. If they are, if you've got a few extra bucks to give them or 20 bucks or whatever, or a sandwich, give, you know, you just make sure that you give as you go and that the people in front of you, you know, and that's a local consciousness thing. Uh, and then for me, I just... I'm a sucker because I, my, my heart hurts every time I, uh, I see cruelty. So I, you know, I give a lot to like you make sure that the organizations that you're giving to have been vetted so that they're not like, you know, uh, wasting money or giving it to people who you don't, you know, agree with, but um, an organization called Americares that's usually first on the ground in most war-torn areas or disaster areas. Okay. Do, Brilliant work, and ninety-nine percent of their money goes directly to people in need, as opposed to organizational overhead. I love Human Rights Watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, and them.
1: Uh, you know, just whatever you feel is the most. You know, I think we just have to go with our hearts. You know, and and the more we feel each other, you know, there is a ripple effect. There just always is.
0: I almost feel like if everybody did something rather than a few people trying to do everything, which is what happens a lot of times. You know, you get, more would get done. It's like recycling. No, one you can't recycle everything. It won't always happen. Some days you're just not going to do it. But if more people did it in things in general, it would yeah. lead to a better place. Do you think that would, that's fair to say? Or? Well,
1: absolutely. I, you know, what that said, I also think that, like for instance, you know, we we as people contribute a certain. I should get my percentages, my, my numbers, statistics right, but. Uh, you know, it's one thing to like be diligent in your own home. And it's great that we're all collectively, you know, putting our heads together a little bit. Uh, but then I'll go to an office building and there's no recycling or you go to a big event, even a benefit, yeah. a supposedly, you know, a benefit to like help people and there's no recycling and or if there is nobody's using it and
0: yeah,
1: and they're wasting food and they're there's just the lack of, I don't want to just keep bitching about things. I think the, well, you know, to, you, we write letters to make sure that the CEOs or whoever's in charge, you know, you, you get, you start, adv- you know, little bits of, of diligence and lobbying and conscious, conscientiousness and conversations can persuade people, you know, can, you can reach the person who makes the decision and then make, and then lobby for change or, you know, and now, now, people are starting to donate their leftovers to homeless shelters, you know, or they are starting to be a little bit more diligent about recycling. But I think you do what you can do. And we all know how good it feels when we're living in integrity with what we know to be our best selves. That feels fucking great. Why would we want anything less? That's really probably the it's, it's really selfishness that makes me behave well, or, you know, like not steal and things like that, because I don't want to, I don't want to have any attention units uh, left behind worrying that I did, you know, something bad that only weighs me, keeps me from being totally present and moving forward.
0: So I guess to sum up, is there any, is there, I often ask, like, I like to ask this question of people, is there a valuable life lesson that you could impart Onto younger people?
1: Um, yeah, I just started a. Um, the golden rule is just always love your neighbors, you love yourself. But I just started a little thing on Instagram where I was like, uh, I did a, a handful of days of like things I'd tell my younger self. And the first thing I wrote down was being on the flow is more important than being, it's better than being perfect.
0: Hmm, That's cool.
1: That's actually my latest revelation. And I try to have like, I try to think, so like in, I try to have some kind of revelation every couple of weeks, at least revelation that I can chew on and kind of carry me through and be like, you know, my own theme. And recently I just, I sort of thought there really isn't so much, you know obviously there are sociopaths and and evil people but I don't really believe I don't really subscribe to the paradox of of good and bad so much as so much as being is something in the flow is it flowing does it feel like I'm actually receiving and giving and does it feel healthy you know the body has a flow Will will it naturally wants to heal itself if you uh you know a lot of disease is really just something blocking that flow so is something flowing or is it not flowing and then once it's flowing you can direct the flow and say well i want to direct this toward creating art i want to direct this flow toward eradicating homelessness or whatever like being part of the you know the 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 team that is doing xyz but now my focus is more on being in the flow and of something is not is not something's not flowing you can actually focus on something else that is flowing and it helps to ease up the tension in the in the block flow where you can actually think about it more critically as opposed to emotionally you know and it can help loosen the, the tension and create more flow i don't know if this sounds too airy fairy or whatever but you know, you
0: know what? i'm going to i'm going to reverse something from Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, where you have that great scene that's not in the play where Alec Baldwin's character goes up there and he's like, A, B, C, always be closing. And I'll just change it to always be flowing, you know? Yeah. Just, But it, it's true. It's, you, there are different streams in your life. And that's what I try to do as a creative person, which is why I think I like being a freelance writer. It's like, if I'm stuck on something, unless it's really absolutely imperative to get it done right at that moment, I'm like, fuck it, I'll go do this other thing. Yeah. Because you know, and then and then it's something that I can refresh you to go into some other place.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I don't know if I just had one other thing I wanted to ask you if you if you have a couple of minutes, because I was there's yeah. something you mentioned before that was you talk about being careful about, you know, what you say or how you express, you know, certain beliefs, political beliefs, and now that you're getting into bigger and bigger gigs. I
1: haven't become careful, by the way. I am saying that I'm I, I can imagine a scenario where it might be it might be beneficial if I were a little bit uh but I haven't yet.
0: But this is interesting, though, that people always think, you know, there's always this contrast, like, well, there's, there's, there's liberal Hollywood. And I'm like, I worked in Hollywood. I don't think it's really that liberal. Like, the talent side may skew liberal, but the money people are not. So it's interesting that you still have that thought in your head, despite the fact that this is what you've been doing your whole life.
1: I've never, I've never curbed myself. I've never curbed myself. But I am aware that there is a game, you know, and especially in, you know, with the, radical pivot toward the right, you know, and, and the people who are clinging to power are, you know, clinging harder, uh, that there yeah. is, you know, that, that I do understand that I need to be conscientious about how I say things. So, yeah. you know, I think it's really important, you know, I'm going to be doing a, an interview later for the show, and I'm guessing that this, that the, the essence of feminism and the Taylor Swift thing will come up. And I do need to be aware that, you know, I mean, if I, if I just come out, look, here's, here, here's what I'd like to leave you with. What I've learned about the brain is that the amygdala, the fear, the, the reptilian brain, mm-hmm. when it's triggered by fear, when it's triggered, when it's activated, it literally hijacks the energy from the rest of the brain, your empathy, your discernment, all of the other parts of the brain are robbed of the energy to function properly. So that's why we have huge swaths of the people are watching Fox News or you know uh, constantly triggered by fear-mongering. Yeah. It's Newsmax. harder to get those people to embrace policies of, you know, to, to, to be empathetic, because it then it then everything is about confrontation and domination and, uh, and the zero sum game of I got mine, you know, make sure that, you know, like, I need, you know, I don't have, we don't have enough, yeah. you know, to take care of immigrants or you name it. And so what I've learned is that when you have, when that fear is activated, logic, empathy, guilt, none of those arguments are persuasive, because you've got a hostage, you get, you, you're, the brain is being hijacked by this one impulse, only making people feel loved, meeting their human basic human needs, yeah. showing them that they're safe, giving them understanding, camaraderie inclusion will allow somebody who's gripped by fear to release that fear enough to entertain another point of view. Okay. Confrontation is only breaking the pendulum. That's where we're at. Is the pendulum is broken, but it not necessarily irreparably. It's just that when that the amygdala has that fear has caused us to uh, bifurcate, and 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 only love will allow us to actually come together. And so, understanding, compassion, and listening is the only way we fix the pendulum. So that's what I'll do. And the last thing I'll say, and I'm getting, it'll sound like like a clever self-promotion, but my album is called "More Love," and the reason it's called "More Love" is that there's no problem in the world for which more love and understanding isn't the answer. and in fact, because of the science of the brain, only more love will allow us to understand each other and work together.
0: Cool. Well, that was a fun interview.
1: Yeah. Uh, well,
0: good to talk to you
1: thank you
0: so much for a uh, cool. great conversation all right thank you take care catch you later on all right bye. bye that wraps up this latest side jams please join me next time and i'll be speaking with bon jovi and the drills guitarist phil x the tunes used in this episode are from fox and the law and i licensed them through AudioSocket. thanks very much for listening